Right, welcome back to the podcast, Steve Sully Study. Um, this is actually quite an emotional day for us because this is going to be the last podcast that we are doing interview in this room at uh, in Soho at Woodbury House, and I've got a fantastic guest in front of me. So, how I'm going to title you is a pro cricketer, but also an entrepreneur, someone that's established a brand called Coastline Cricket League. Yep. Is that correct? That's correct. So Junaid, um, Nadir, welcome on board the podcast and thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me in such an honourable place and, you know, for the last one, you know, thank you. It means a lot as well. And I hopefully, you know, this will be an emotional one, just not for us, but also the viewers watching for sure. Perfect. So um, I do want to talk about Coastline. I want to talk about your entrepreneurial journey and you're only a very young man. You're 26 years of age. I'm 36 and I feel like an old man, but... Um, to be 26, to have all the accolades and all the achievements that you've done so far, to be a pro cricketer, to have a really good social following as well, but also have ambitions to develop this coastline cricket brand into a global phenomenon. I mean, you've got the world at your feet at the moment, mate. So uh, I do want to I do want to hear about the journey. Before I do, I'm a big believer that sometimes adversity, sometimes pain, and sometimes a global problem or a cultural problem is the catalyst to start something great. And you see it all the time. You know, uh, a single mum that was poor, you know, struggling, she suddenly comes up with this concept and becomes a self-made millionaire or a business person because of all the pain she was going through or there's a problem in this sector and someone who's working in that sector comes up with a solution and becomes a very successful person off the back end of it at the end of the day the reason why a lot of people become super super uber successful is because they figure out a problem and then they 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 obviously come up with a concept and they turn it into a brand or a business and that's what i feel that you've doing so let's talk about the grassroots of you where you're from, what you've achieved, what you've done, and one of the reasons why, some of the reasons why you set up this brand called Coastline Cricket. Yeah, so look, that's a very kind introduction. And, you know, it's come from a place of, I think, like you said, it's always pain, it's suffering, it's somewhere comes from emotion. I think that's where most of your successful people, like you said, even in the athletes' worlds in, in sports and cricket, like some of the stories we have of our ambassadors of Coastline, um, and I'm sure hopefully we'll get them down to do a podcast with you if, uh, as well, is that, you know, some of these guys have had really humble and tough beginnings and they've gone and conquered the world of cricket on an international scale and played in the World Cups, won World Cups, and you're just like, wow. So, you know, it's a place of hunger. And from what I've, what I believe is, you know, heartbreaks, you know, being broke or, you know, coming from a place of real hurt. I think that's where, you know, and a person's drive comes from. And then when you then look into then the global side of things as well, it's, you know, what I've seen in cricket and in the political world of just sports, as well as cultural things, there is a lot of things that we need to correct with this. And I believe, you know, Nelson Mandela was a big believer of it as well when he said, started saying that sport is a healer. It's a, something that can be used to, you know, signify peace and put out a statement to the world. You know, if you look in the World War, uh, World War II, and they used football to, you know, they England and Germany took a break and played a game of football against each other. Symbolizing things through that is very powerful. Because, so we're going to be using cricket for that. But we're also encompassing like entertainment. So it's going to be two in one sort of thing. So it's an enjoyment, but the mission statement within it comes from a pain 
painful place. Now, for myself, it you know, Southeast London born, born and bred and raised, and you know, it's being a British Muslim growing up in the times of you know being born in the nineties in ninety six. So, you know, when when the nine eleven attacks happened, you know, a lot of things changed for the for the society of of world. Right? It was it was a world changing event. You know, the seven seven bombings that happened in London. Being a Muslim, stereotypes started. You know, the racial attacks that were upon you know even me being so young at the time was quite catastrophic. However, it was a, it's a case that where even at such a young age, I had to adapt it into two ways. It was life, you know, it's two ways you, you go. So, you know, I went into, I, went, I remember I went into the playground um, when the 7-7 bombings happened and my birthday is on the 7th of the 7th as well. So quite ironic. And, you know, kids are quite innocent and quite playful. So when they say things, it might not necessarily come from a ill-mannered place, but it's quite, you know, front on, dare we say. So I went into the playground and I was, you know, young as I could remember. And, you know, when you line up before you go into the, into the, into the school, it was, I was standing there and one of the kids tapped me on the back and goes, oh, did you see what happened? These London, you know, the, the bombings happened. Was that a birthday present to you? And I was like, I've got to take, how am I going to take this now? And I just t- turned around and I remember to myself, I can either... It's flight or fright, right? You're going to, you know, go into a mode where you're going to, I could either turn around and slap him or I just, I actually laughed it off, to be honest with you. I was like, you know what? That was quite funny that he's actually got the intelligence to deliver such a joke at that age. I was like, and that was my mind and processing of at such a young age. And I was like, okay, cool. No problem. And I went into school and it, and it bothered me for a bit. And I remember going home, talking to my, my parents about this and, it's not even nice for the parents to even hear that their son is going into school and experience such such a thing. So it's more than just the personal connection. This is what I've established and learned in the whole process of getting into coastline. You know, seeing how it's not just affected me, but the people around myself. And I continued in what I was doing. Um, you know, I was playing cricket from the ages of five. So you know, well, let's let's take it back to when I was when I was born, basically. I was born with a severe medical condition called croup, which is a severe case of asthma, which basically is a permanent asthma attack. And I had that for the basically first year and a half of my life when I was pretty much not even allowed out of the hospital. So, and actually when I was born, the doctors were like, no, he's got no chance of basically surviving it. My grandfather, who's no longer here anymore, maybe he's got rest his soul in peace. Um, he was the one who was a believer. He was like, no, he'll fight through this. And so I did. Um, went on to um, continue this journey. Um, and when I was three years old, I, you know, I can still remember my mother. She couldn't even open the doors or the windows to the house because any sort of fresh air or sort of pollen would trigger my asthma attack. And I remember as young as like being three, four years old, I used to be able to, you know, have, I knew how to put the nebulizer on myself, which is a, you know, oxygen sort of thing that you used to set up back then. And I remember I used to wake up and not disturb my parents and just go in and into the like kitchen and set myself up and, and put myself on. And a kid at that age shouldn't be doing that to for themselves, right? And I was like, okay, cool. So I was had a very tough, you know, missed a lot of school as well because of that, you know, and growing up in that side of things. 
So I was like, okay, this is this is not easy, and it was not hard. It was not easy for my mother either, because to see her, you know, baby in that sort of condition and so forth, it was not easy for her. She had to sacrifice, you know, have three older siblings and time with them and stuff. So is there is a whole effect within not just oneself but the family, and this is what people don't seem to understand that there is a whole diverse connect within the people. Now, I ended up having a lot of energy because. I was just young. I was staying in home a lot of the time, so my parents, you know, I just used to watch cricket a lot. My dad, my, you know, just in a Pakistani household and community, cricket is a big sport. So I just carried on watching that, and I used to pick up anything that I could find—a bat or a ball—and used to run around the house and smash up the house and just try and play the sport, not knowing that you know where my life would end up taking me. You know, by the age of five, I played my first cricket match for. Greenwich under tens, so I was playing with kids twice my age, and pretty much twice my size. And you know, battling two years ago with severe croup and asthma attacks consistently, to now come out onto a cricket field was the biggest accomplishment. And at five years old, to ha- actually have the physical ability to go and play a cricket match is one thing. So if you look at, I see kids now at you know five, six years old, and they're not even physically developed to a stage where they can, you know, do the things that we are capable of in that, you know, in those areas. But there are some who are extremely developed. So there is a, an imbalance that I see nowadays, which was a bit different then. So when I was went onto the pitch, you know, people actually laughed at my parents and myself. Like I used to, my run up is like twenty five yards, so I'm running, walking down the pitch, and you know. And they're like, "This, where's this little kid going? He's having a laugh. He can't be doing. He can't be doing nothing." And I ran in and bowled and took four wickets in that game, and won the match. And the parents, and I still remember my, when my parents were telling me this, and they told me this story a few months ago. They were like, "We saw the the parents were looking at us. They were laughing like, where's this kid going?'" And then they saw one wicket go. Then they saw the next wicket go. And then they started looking at us like. Is that your son? And he was like, "Yeah." They were like, "Wow, we've not seen anything like that." And for my mum, I still remember when I came off that pitch that day, she was in tears because she saw, and I didn't. I thought she was happy for how full was happy tears because I took four wickets. It might have been, but yeah, it was obviously a proud moment for her because her son a few years ago wasn't even breathing properly, and now he's come out, played his first match, and just set. Almost the world on fire. The very next year, when I turned six, I was selected for Kent. So one of the youngest cricketers ever in the county history to be selected at that age and to play. And I'm very fortunate that I've had amazing coaches who've had belief in me from a young age. I've had also coaches who have not also believed in me and caused problems. But you know, for those ones at my early ages, I give them so much love and respect. I almost see them as my cricket father because without them giving me that opportunity. I would never be here today, sat in front of you today. Yeah, what a great story so far, mate. Um, so I've got written down here Essex, and also you playing playing for Kent as a pro cricketer. Yeah. Um, your your I know you've got ambitions and you've got a focus on developing this brand, and we're going to talk about the broadcasting rights and stuff you've been doing in Dubai, etc. But Cricket, what you've achieved so far and playing, is that still something at the forefront of your mind? You want to continue be, become, being a pro athlete or is it something that is 
a former chapter and you're going into a new part of your your life look that's something that's very it's a good question um i think you know now sports is a thing of age shouldn't be a factor anymore now you look around the sporting circle you know i'm sure it's a similar thing within boxing rooms football cricket if you're not if you've not made it by 25 you're not playing or you've not taken a pay-per-view bout or you're not playing premier league football or you've not played england cricket let's say your, your time's over you go find something else to do i don't i don't think that's the case you know well this year i think i've played the best cricket i have and i'm in the best sort of position i've ever been in in terms of my playing ability then I, you know when i was like 17 18 at my prime when i set you know kent records which we'll come on and talk about but where i am now and i think a lot of it's to do with mindset i've learned the game i've learned where i am at and i know my strengths to accomplish what i can do i've had a serious season i've been bowling quicker than i've almost ever bowled i'm batting like i've never bowled, batted before i'm fielding like i've never fielded before so i do believe and i still believe i've got a lot to give into the game and to to continue to go on now there is a systematic problem within cricket hence why i'm doing this thing coastline cricket because not just myself i've seen it amongst all my peers my sisters my siblings and other international establishments uh, and you will hear these things as we go along through the journey of coastline there is a lot of issues um whether you want to call it institutional whether you want to call it political you know there is a system that we live in not just within cricket but in society that it's quite complex so yeah i would love to continue to still play um i think there's some great you know inspiring stories especially within the rooms of cricket you know there was an australian who played in in the test series against uh, in the ashes against england um last year um and he debuted at the age of like 32 33 um as a fast bowler and that's unheard of and he ripped through england and he's been a you know a good you know good find so i've been written off a few times in my journey in my career which we'll talk about i'm sure um but i've always come back and i've always found ways to you know and i think coming back to the whole message of where these things come from it's like when someone knocks myself down or says anything or you can't achieve it you can't do it i almost it, it almost stirs me on to make sure that i prove that individual wrong yeah yeah the the thing about sport i i think whether it's boxing football cricket no no matter what sport i think we can all no matter our race no matter our background no matter how wealthy we are our gender our beliefs you know etc we can all admire a good sports person because <clears throat> even if that sports person is not the very very best in the world that hunger to strive and be better to break records and to compete and as you put their their own reputation online and sometimes even their own life on the line with certain sports <clears throat> you can really admire it and i think from the sports person point of view i certainly know this you know boxing myself the the traits that you develop that willing instinct you can transfer that into other parts of your life including business and i think it's such an important thing for kids to figure out and to be exposed to when they're younger because they don't you don't realize how much it's going to help you with your confidence moving forward in life um and i think that connection needs to be honed in a lot more when a kid is playing rugby football cricket at school the school needs to put the message to them that this is not just good for your physical well-being and emotional 
and the the the, the you know having a social network off the back end of this 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 sport but also the things you're going to learn by playing this and working together as a team is going to put you in good stead later on in your life and i don't think that connection is said enough mm-hmm. you know it's either you know his business and his sport and actual fact no they're connected 100%. In, in many in many ways the 100%, mindset 100%. you know I've, I've i've had it plenty of times where <clears throat> i know plenty of people at my school were so much more smart than me you know i said well i was i want to use this quite loosely it's not 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 because it's not true it's just because sometimes i i, I challenge myself because of the title but in 2018 I, I was going through a certain scenario and I had to get di- put through a, a, a test and I was diagnosed with ADHD and uh, dyslexia and so I've had that for all my life and I'm not ashamed of it because I actually understand that sometimes when someone's got that you actually heighten other skills I, I suffer from dyslexia yeah. as well so yeah so um there are plenty of people at my school far much more clever than I am. Like they are uber smart, very, very sharp individuals, but they never set foot outside of the nine to five, maybe because they're worried or maybe because they couldn't make a connection. Whereas myself, I knew I couldn't really work for anybody because it's just not the way I'm programmed. And I knew I had to get in business for myself. And I knew part of the reason why I made that jump is because of boxing and because of sport in itself. I used to play rugby, football, etc., squash, but boxing itself was the one that gave me the business mindset in order to push forward even when you feel like your back is up against the ropes. 100%. And no doubt cricket's done the same thing for you. 100%. I'm, I'm really glad you talked about that because I don't think people understand this or it's spoken about much within sporting rooms and it is so powerful. Now, cricket and boxing, there is a lot of similarities across it. I, I, I've done a bit of boxing and sparring and because I can't encompass it within cricket. It's, it's a great crossover. Um, there's a lot of, you know, that, that fighting position stance is almost the batting position and bowling position and the explosiveness. Um, but what I admire with boxing so much is that, you know, again, come, come, you know, putting it into life, it is so powerful. Now, you know, you go for a sick, you know, six months camp, people go for nine months camps, people do three months camps, you know, and then you, you're waiting for this one moment, you know, these 30 minutes is that is your, that is your moment, but you've done all of that for just this moment. Now, again, with Coastline itself, you know, it's now coming to fruition now people starting to know about it and the exposures there, but it was all of that journey of what's been like, you know, 16 months in the, in the making, but then, beyond before that 16 months it's been my you know 20 years of cricket before that so yeah there is this end product you know you see these super brands and whatever but again it comes through to cricket now myself you know with cricket as as it is it's quite quite interesting similar to boxing but it's a bit more forgiving but also unforgiving at the same time you got a lot of opportunities to go again like being a bowler you know, you've got six balls to bowl at a batsman. You can bowl a minimum of 10 overs or four to 10 or even unlimited overs a day. I mean, test cricket. As a batsman, you've got one chance. If you get out, you're in the changing room and you're, you're there all day. But that batsman and every batsman who goes out to bat, whether he's batting at number one or number 11, he wants to score 100. Whether, you know, you, like, you speak to a number 11 batsman, I want to score 100. It's everybody's goal. That's like getting, you know, a knockout clean, right, in, in, in that respect. They, they work towards that. 
does it always happen? It will probably happen, you know, some of the greats, hence why you see the greats that they are now. It will happen consistently. But 75% of people, you'll get a 50 or 100 once every three or four games, maybe five games. What that teaches you in life is that, you know, we work towards something, we're, in, we're in, involved in it. Now you apply it like, you know, let's look at test crickets over five days. You know, for the average working person, it's Monday to Friday, it's five days. In those five days, you're going to be, you know, go counter so many things. You're going to be on top, you're going to be on, uh, you know, in defeat. You can come back again and you can also go back into defeat. But you have opportunities within that to go again. So you have, you can bat twice and you can bowl twice. Hopefully the weather will be okay, all of these factors. But that's like it in life as well. You know, you want the weather to be good, but, you know, you might have a long walk to the station and it's raining one day. You know, these are the things that make us who we are. So we have to apply these things, like you said, through life. And that's why I think myself and yourself, you know, it's very powerful what we've done and what we're doing because we've used sports as a a factor to drive what we're doing. And when people, you know, even play sports as a recreational thing with friends socially, the competitiveness, the winning and losing part to it. I think everybody should have it in, involved in their life because it's good for one mental health, getting away from things. You know, sometimes when I don't play cricket or I don't train, and I'm sure you probably feel it as well, um, you can start feeling a certain negative way. Once you start playing or you go into the gym or you hit your pads or you smash a few balls, you know, oh, I feel I feel amazing again. And then you go back into your work, you know, or whatever you're doing, and you're you're flying again. So. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with what, you, it, what this point is, but I think everybody should really, you know, look to have sports as a as a way of life as well. Definitely. So um, the drive behind Coastline Cricket, my understanding, listening to some of your, your other interviews and obviously doing a bit of research and getting to know you a bit more, is it's a different approach to cricket and more inclusion. And if we take it all the way back, the conversation that we had before this is not just about it, but this is definitely a factor that Pakistan and also India, I didn't realise this because one, I've never visited these these, these wonderful countries and, and two, cricket, I've got to be honest, is not been a, 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 a sport that I've been exposed to as much growing up. Um, but I know it's definitely a massive following. There's so many people that play it. So many people vouch for the culture of cricket. And when I do think of cricket, I do think of Pakistan, I do think of India and certain key, you know, countries around the world who are phenomenal at playing this particular sport. But I didn't realise there was actually a bit of a barrier between Pakistan and India. And you gave me a bit of a sort of uh, education, historical lesson behind it. So can you share with me again how that divide happens, the history of it, and why you feel that Coastline Cricket, the league, is a perfect kind of solution to bring that back together. Sure. Now, you've got to take it back to the very beginning and to the start of history. Now, yeah, cricket, you know, it's an English sport. Um, it got taken over to to India and Pakistan uh, when the British colony went over and they started playing it with their workers and, you know, they you know started enjoying the sport. So it goes back to th- those years and very, very old sport. You know, it's one of... Cricket is the second largest sport in the world. Um, it's got over 2.5 billion fans around the world. And if I could interject, I mean, who who would you say are, are the leaders? You've got India, Pakistan, West Indies? No, in, so there's a top four, they're calling the top four. So it's uh, Australia, England, um, 
India, and then Pakistan falls into it. Uh, no, not even Pakistan. There is there is another one, um, a super house in there, but I, I can't remember off the top of my head. <coughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's really controlled. So you have a structure called the ICC, which is the ICC Cricket Council, um, who is supposed to be the you know like the WBC, the, the governing body on on top of it. However, I think it's quite apparent and quite publicly you know recognized that the BCCI, which is the Indian Cricket Board are on top of and are in charge of basically all of it. So they're the powerhouse because of the IPL. Now, you know, again, going back to the history of it, cricket was taken there in the times where India and Pakistan was one country. Now, the reason why, you know, cricket is one of the biggest sports in the world is because you have, you know, one point whatever billion people in India and you've got, you know, 200 plus million people in Pakistan. So you've already got one and a half billion people there or maybe even two billion. So yeah, that is probably a driving factor to it. Um, and yeah, there is obviously a, a political tension. Now, before it was divided, it was called Hindustan. It wasn't even called India or Pakistan or it was none of that. So it was under, a, which is a Hindu regime, which is con kind of it is to an extent now but it's a bit you know politically um diverse in that sense now when the the division and when the partition happened um there was a lot of you know a lot of deaths a lot of things that that happened a, 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 a while it happened and um you know my grandparents were part of that and i was, I was as sure as many because it wasn't that long ago um and in that time they drew this border between india and now they're called now the new India and now new Pakistan. They caused the split and division where now, you know, the Sikh community within that, there is also a temple in Lahore and also in Punjab, India side. So Punjab is, was split into two where you have Punjab also in Pakistan and also in India. Now this, there, this, there is a Sikh temple within Pakistan, Lahore, which is probably about no longer than a 20 minute drive from the Pakistan India border which I have been to and very cheekily stuck stuck my toe over the border with the with the security looking um but yeah and it it goes to this factor you see when they do they have the, the these things and it only recently Imran Khan he opened the borders the, the actual Wagor border that is, is called there for Sikhs to come you know with without with open arm entry to come and complete their pilgrimage as they say when you've done this to a nation who are very spiritually embedded, you know, if you look at the cultures, you know, Sikhism, Hinduism, Islam, you know, if you put, I, you know, being British, Muslim and born and raised, I've been exposed to all of them. So I have friends from all backgrounds, you know, British, Hindi, uh, Hinduism, Sikhism, you know, atheists, whatever, we're exposed to all of it. And you can, you know, really, really have a, you know, unification among, amongst this. But with, with sports now, okay, now you're going to politics. There is a big political tension between Pakistan and India. I also went and played in the Kashmir Premier League, which is a region between Pakistan and India, which is currently in dispute. So when I went out to play there, it was a red zone. And, you know, it got to the stage where the BCCI, the, Brit uh, the Indian Cricket Board, refused people to go and play in this event stating that if you go and play in the Kashmir Premier League any cricketers there was a long list of cricketers waiting around the world to go to this the BCCI said a few weeks before it that if any 
cricketer goes and plays in the Kashmir Premier League, they will not even allow to. They're not allowed to come and do no work within India, at all. Wow. Like no cricketing stuff at all. Yeah, no way. You have no chance. It's crazy. You just think to yourself, Kashmir is its own sort of region. It's got nothing to do with those you two. You're stopping somebody from earning an opportunity for themselves because of political tension. Don't make sense to me. Sports. They're trying to promote the area of Kashmir, showing peace. Kashmir is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Now, you know, check out on my socials, you know, the, the videos and the stuff that I put up up there. It's literally, when I was out there, people are like, are you in Switzerland? It looks like you're in the Alps. I'm in Kashmir. And people think of these places, like if you've not heard of it, you're thinking, what, what would it be like? Is it run down? This is one of the most naturally, most beautiful places in the world I've ever seen. Unreal. I've done Alps, I've done a road trip to the Alps and all of these things. It has to be up there with one of the best and most beautiful places in the world. Um, it recently went under floods, as as you've seen in Pakistan, which has been quite catastrophic. Um, so, but, you know, it, it, people don't even know, like a third of the world's glaciers are held in Pakistan's mountains. Pakistan's one of the only countries that you have four seasons in, in the country at the one time. You've got mm -hmm. one part, it's snowing, it's icy, it's mountainous and the other part is like 40 50 degrees scorching in the same sort of region and it's just like wow you people don't understand how you know the world is a beautiful place and why are we fighting over it when you know i was i'm a person who you know i even went to kashmir so prior to that so I, going back to my cricketing journey i did a, a, a an event with the lahore kalandas which is a massive team in pakistan so they're a uh, they're the, like a Man City equivalent, uh, dare I say, in, in Pakistan. Went and played a tournament with them. And one of the regions we went to was Kashmir. This was the first time like professional cricket was played in Kashmir after like 20, 30 years. Um, and this was before the Kashmir Premier League. And this was the, just a trial to see if it could be safe enough, it could, if it could be done. It was a, almost a you know tempting of an event. The reception was phenomenal like this was pre before covid as well so the crowds were packed rows were packed i was like i must have been 18 19 yeah 18 19 at the time uh maybe 20 at the very max i was like wow like this is incredible i had the opportunity to come to a part of pakistan where even like people that i know in pakistan family that i have there and friends and family have never even been there I'm a British-born national who's going as an overseas to Pakistan and then going to a region that people sitting in that country have never seen or been to. And wow, what an what an opportunity that was! And you know, I got to take my my parents came with me as well, so I got to show them a part of the world that you know many people may never see. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you kind of in 2022, certainly in the last five ten years you almost expect that the whole world is an open place that no matter what walk of life you are from, religion, etc., you can go go to. And when you hear about the segregations in different parts of the world, it's kind of, kind of mad, like the restrictions because of beliefs, political tension, etc. So going back to it, so India and Pakistan, they, they, they are divided now. They used to be as one. But what was what was the main reason? Was it because of religious beliefs? Yes. So, so Sikhs and Hindus. Yep. 
and Muslim. And pa- so there was a massive Muslim community within that, which they made for Pakistan. They said, this will be your land, this will be your land. And, you know, everyone just be at peace, not okay. knowing what they were really doing. Buddhism, is that involved anywhere? No, they were quite peaceful. It was mainly the, the Islamic, um, Islamic religion and the Hinduism were at a massive war. Um, and you know, there's there's been stuff recently in the in the in the press with stuff in India, and there's you know stuff against you know Muslims that were happening out there, um, and it was there's there's still ongoing. And now, religion has always been a a cause of a factor and whatever, but actually it should be a symbolization of peace. Like Islam, the word Islam translates to the word peace. Now. When people start, and you know, Sikhism, very peaceful. And I'm, you know, my Hindu friends, I've seen very peaceful. So it's, they use the word religion as a political way to cause attention, to create conflict when there is necessarily not actually even the fact. It's a very ancient way of thinking. We're in a modern society. It's a 20 world, you know, it's a 20, we're in the, you know, 2023 now going into, you know, it's crazy. Time's just flying off like this. People and things need to be able to adapt and change. And I think now, if you look around and see the energy, especially post COVID, everybody's on a connection, like wants to, you know, they value things a bit more about life and experiences, traveling the world now and making things count and giving love to each other because we've seen now like, you know, the world can change just like that. So, you know, if you look at recent, just recently the uh, Cricket World Cup that's happening and happened, um, when Pakistan and India play each other, do you know they only ever play each other in World Cups? They do not play each other outside in any sports, really. You will never see a Pakistan team or an India team play in any sports rather than a World, like a World Cup event or the Olympics per se. It's ridiculous that you're stopping two nations to compete in a sport because of political tension. Polit- politics is here, sports is here. Two separate things. Hence why we are looking to make that driving force to make that change and showcase that we're going to have for the first time in international cricket and stage to the world, both men, male and female players from both Pakistan and India sharing the pitch, both in the same team and to compete against each other. And and to be honest with you, no one can stop me because I'm a third party entity and we've got governing body supports and we've, we've nailed everything and, you know, that is the mission and statement that we're going to put out and this is simple as that yeah sounds like you've got a good momentum and a good good amount of people behind you and some iconic personnel in your sector of cricket are noticing what you're doing uh, which is quite clear to see are you ever a little bit fearful of playing devil's advocate that um one of the countries will say right if you go and play in this league you're going to be banned from coming back or you're going to be restricted living where you're living because you've gone against the grain and you've gone against our wishes. Is there is there any concern like that? For me, that's not a concern. That's a, that's a beautiful factor. I'm waiting for someone to do that because then I can point the finger and say, look, here we go. Exactly what I'm saying is factually happening in front of you. I'm putting something on for the better of people and opportunities for the world, not just for... Not to showcase myself, I'm showcasing your own country to show the peace, the signification of, you know, symbolization of peace and unity. If they want to pull their players out or say this and that, the other, people are going to be evidently knowing that there is something corrupt within that system. Mm. And so they've got to be careful on how they approach these things. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. So more about the, the, the business then. Um, you mentioned about free to any nation to play, basically. Is that right? Yep. Uh, female and male playing together. And am I right in saying it's going to be on beach, beaches as well? Yeah, yeah. So beach cricket's happened once before. Um, and our ambassadors, uh, John T. Rhodes and Courtney Walsh, also played in this one back in 2007 in Australia. That was pre-social media. Um, that was pre all of this cricket hype that we have now and it was a great success and i remember watching it on tv i was like this is amazing like i love you know, who doesn't love a beach holiday like when i go on holiday i'm just trying to find a beach wherever i can go in the world so you put the two and two together now you know these cricketers that we we have on board such as you know john t rose courtney walsh and many more to come and i'll speak more about those is that they are the icons of the game like when I mean legends, like Courtney Walsh was the first person to take 500 test wickets in the world in history. He was the first person to go past that barrier. And the other people have gone past him and surpassed his record, but you know, records are there to be broken, but he was the first. So he's known as like the, the big godfather, dare we say, within cricket. And what a gentleman he is. You know, for him to, to give me his time before and support this and literally be our ambassador because he's also the... Her in, head of in, uh, West Indies women cricket, um, which is fantastic for our mission statement. And you know, being it in the twenty, you know, twenty twenty three now, um, it's going to be very powerful with the message of you know combining female sports within it. So now, female side of cricket, you know, the World, cr- cr- women's World Cup that happened um, in well earlier on this year, twenty twenty two, had was the lo- it was the most watched female sporting event in women's sporting history at 1.5 billion viewers throughout the whole World Cup, top to every number, showing massive improvements. Now, the legends are not playing no more. They don't have an opportunity to play. There are some legends leagues that are going on, but it's a bit, dare I say, Mickey Mouse. This, uh, being on the beach, allows them to be make it competitive. Now, as you know, when you retire, you may not be able to be able to you know, do those things that you once were able to, you know, on the cricket field. So playing football, you know, you see these legend games that we, even in football, it's nice to see them on, on, on the pitch, but they're not able to do it on such a big, you know, yeah. there's some big pitches, you know, they're not small. Putting it on a beach then makes it feasible and, you know, an even playing field for all players. So it will be like a, you already, I'm not going to say too much, let, let people watch in and tune in for that. Um, but yeah, the, the playing field is, is quite even and it's going to be competitive um, because, you know, no opposite wants to get out to each other or get seeing the ball get hit for six or whatever. So you imagine you see one of the girls smash Courtney Walsh for a six into the ocean. That's going to go viral, right? On, you know, your TikToks and these things, but it's going to be a very competitive because he doesn't want to have that happen to him and she wants to do that to him. So there's that edge on that side of it as well. And if you speak to them, the females, they're like, Janae, we've never even had the opportunity to think about meeting these guys. And now you're giving us an opportunity to one, meet with them, share the picture and gain knowledge from them to help their improve their game. Because as you know, within sports, yes, playing is a lot of it. Training is a lot of it. But learning and knowledge between you know one another is also very, very powerful. So it's something that's never been seen before, never been done before. And being coastline cricket, now hence where this is quite powerful, the name coastline cricket is a neutral name. Coastline cricket will be starting off in Dubai and then following suit into Brazil. 
We've also in conversation with other nations around the world to drop it into their coastline. The only other cricketing event in the world that is able to go around the world is the ICC World Cup. But we're not competing with that. That is a main professional elite event. This is a fun environment, competitive. It's a beach holiday, two weeks. You know, if you want to go on a holiday, come down to coastline cricket. You know, sit down on a beach, meet some great cricketers, live entertainment, encompassing with the greatest hotels. It's a win-win for all parties. So you put these three together, it's something that's never been seen or done before within cricket. Hence why we're able to attract the names that we're able to attract, the, you know, brands that we're able to be attracting. Now, if you look at the IPL, Indian Premier League, PSL, Pakistan Super League, CPL, Caribbean Premier League, What's the one common thing within those three? Nations. India, Pakistan, Caribbean. It's fixated in their countries and specifically for their people. So, you know, yourself might not be specifically wanting to watch it because I'd have no direct connect. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're segregating people just by the name. This is unification. There is no barrier. Anybody from any part of the world. So we have Roberta Avery. She's the Brazilian women's captain. Brazilian Brazil cricket team. Yes, they do have a cricket team, and they've actually growing pretty quickly now. Um, you know, a population of two hundred million people who are so big in you know football, volleyball, and all these other sports. Having them now opening up the market of cricket to them, beach is is a huge culture for them. Sports, yeah. beach sports. You put all of these three things into one, it's like you've never seen before. It's exciting. So you mentioned to me about like the people backing and the broadcasting, etc., and some some big profile brand ambassadors. Could you share a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So like you know, it's, it was it's been a crazy journey, I tell you, because a couple of months ago, people were like, "You won your twenty six years, well, twenty five when I was twenty four, twenty five when I started the idea and started it. Twenty six I was this year." Um, people were like. Everyone's senior to me, you know. I've never every meeting I've been in with, I've, I've sat down in, and and anything that I've done within Coastline, I've always been the youngest in the room. In the last twelve, sixteen months, I've always been the youngest in the room. Never have I, you know, stated it or do I care about it? To be honest with you, I think age is just a number. But people, some seniors, and some people, have said, "What do you know? What are you going to do? You can't. You could not be able to even get one broadcaster on board. You're crazy." And some very high-profile people from even the boxing world as well said you won't be able to get even one broadcaster, or you won't even be able to do. You're not going to be able to get no governing bodies behind you, or this and that. Some somewhat believed them. I was like, maybe they're right, but I'll give it a crack. Um, and you know, by the grace of God, I worked hard and found my find the found my ways of making this work. Um, managed to so the first broadcaster that we signed and secured. Um, is a three-year p- partnership deal with Sportsmax, which is in the Caribbean, the biggest sports channel within the Caribbean. It's all in the 27-plus islands. You know, that's Barbados, Jamaica, you know, Trinidad and Tobago, you name it, all of them, you know. For me, like, you know, again, it's their culture. Beach is their culture, right? We've got some of the biggest names from them. To sign a three-year deal with them for Coastline Cricket was a huge huge step in in a massive direction because i still remember i was actually i was i was emotional and i and i did 
break a tear because you know people doubted me and said you'll never be able to do it no one believed in me people slept on me people let go of the belief but thankfully for the great team that I have core team who've believed in the mission who've supported me the whole way and believed in the mission with me you know cr- cricketers included I'm most humbled and most honored to be in this position to have such a great support network who have allowed me to deliver this because of the mission statement. You know, it was that that moment for us myself and Coastline was was heaps and bounds because now it gave me opportunities to convert conversations with other people quite easily. It's just like anything one one person jumps on board it's a, it's a walking train ship, right? It's yeah. a herd of sheep. Um then we we managed to secure one in the North America region USA and Canada um by the name of Willow TV they're the biggest cricket distributors in the North American region they have over 5 million plus subscribers both digitally and on television they're in 3 million plus households where they have average of 3 people per house and in the Caribbean sports max are in across you know 2.5 million households with Uh, also three people per household so our reach within within just those two regions is in excess of 11 million people talk to me 6 months ago I didn't have one and now I've got a total reach of 11 million wow you, you wait someone stopped me for a minute but we haven't stopped just there we've ongoing conversation with other broadcasters around the world and major houses I won't publicate anything that that just yet. Um stay tuned on the socials you'll be able to see all of that. Most honored and humbled to have even the conversations with these people. I I never went to university or got a education in how to do all of these things. But by the grace of God and you know the amazing team around me, I can only be very thankful that we've been able to secure these things and even start having conversation with these things. You know I, I remember Uh, one of our meetings that we had with our broadcasters you know it was 30 minutes to the dot our first it was a virtual meeting as well power of zoom as well and it's amazing 30 minutes to the dot we started said hello said bye bye and those same so probably 20 minutes negotiation conversation with our broadcaster There's a couple of people on their side a couple of people on our side sitting on their silent the deal was secured people come off the call people were like now my seniors in our team are you know elderly and very experienced and very very knowledgeable and are very influential people were like wow you've managed to deliver that wow like what if you, you you're going crazy this is crazy it was like it was amazing and like i i sometimes don't i know i'm just in like a sort of train mode at the moment where i don't notice these things but you look back and you just like you know that, that's pretty surreal yeah made made it happen which is incredible um so the the ambitions for coastline cricket uh from a business point of view is it something that you want to float something you want to sell something you want to get investment into where 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 you at with it yeah so look we're we're selling teams and opportunities there's sponsorship opportunities as well look like you know we've got 11 million plus reach of just already um and we're we're expanding so it's massive opportunities for sponsors um we're going to be opening up teams we've actually opened up franchise teams for sale one of them's been sold and um you know 
hopefully that publication will come out with that when that comes out will be pretty huge um, with the name of caliber of people that are getting on board so it's enticing for people to come on board own a team which is a business then within coastline so people can come on board as if you're owning you know like a chelsea football team or an nfl team you are able to now build that brand so you know say steve you come in and buy a team you want to call it x y and z you build your kit your merchandises you know you part your ticket sales there's prize money within the event you know there is revenues to be made externally with having the players in board whatever you're able to create you know you're going to have your own kit so you're able to generate your own sponsorship you know we might have tom over here who's able to generate 100 grand on a, on a on a on a sponsorship but you might have a better connect and a more wider range of reaching people you might be able to generate 200 grand maybe even millions who knows there is no limitation on this so it's quite exciting for people coming on board because like i said this is a brand that's going to be traveling around the world so it's not just you're selling you know you're not a manchester city that you're a team based in manchester you're going to be going all around the world and having people so if you if you make good quality kit get good, good names on board like you know we're not just in board, onboarding these cricketers we've got celebrities on board so we're reaching out to people in other backgrounds of sports you know other areas to bring in more reach and more diversity it's very very exciting um something to bear in mind and i think the the culture has been stamped out but um cricket just circling back to what you said at the very start of the conversation talking about the underhanded racist comment that was made to you about the the bombings it got me thinking about the culture of cricket where it was once at and where it is right now and i feel that your brand is a breath of fresh air and I do honestly feel that racism I think it's always going to be there in some kind of form I don't think you can ever get rid of it but I do think it is slowly being pushed out because it's just not accepted as it once was back in the day Mm -hmm. but racism you know there was even uh, cricket sometimes is in the uh, public domain in, in the news in the media for the wrong reasons and I think two of the wrong reasons is sometimes the racism, things that happened in the past, and now it's coming to the forefront. There's been some players that have gone into courtrooms mm-hmm. and what the media call people of colour, they're now only speaking about it now and they were not given a fair chance because of their race, because of their background and because of their beliefs. And then on the other side of the negativity is the cricket fixings. Yeah, yeah. Um, you only have to type in cricket fixings into Google, and it will come up with the five top most, yeah. you know, high-profile scandals ever yeah. in the world for for cricket. Yeah. So let's talk about the first thing: racism. Like, I don't know much about cricket because I've not been exposed to it. Obviously, you've been a pro cricketer and being someone who would the media would call a man of colour. Okay, uh, I'm using their words, not mine. Have you had a lot of have you been exposed to racism and what do you know about those type of stories? It's very interesting. So I was on uh, Sky News for, for an interview. Um, ITV, I did one as well about this cricket racism situation um, involving the individual. Now, I went with an, in an approach that, yeah, look, I've been exposed to it and I'll, I'll tap into something most recently happened and I'll give you this at first hand, but I'll come to that. Yeah, I experienced it growing up a lot. Um, but I, like I said, I was the person to just come away from it. I didn't sort of use that to be, like put me down. 
I use it as a driving force. Like, okay, cool. You want to hold me back? I'm going to give you every reason why not. Why like every you know, leave no stone unturned, basically. I have to be very careful how I put this. So I play cricket in a, in a, in a certain region, which people probably know, and I've been exposed to it and, and so forth for recent as well. Now, because of my certain stigma and personality or my whatever they want to put it upon me, they're using my height. I'm not tall enough to be a professional cricketer. There is a load of excuses to say why I cannot play professional cricket. Now, I was recently playing with a team and, you know, coming on to potentially getting signed for them and so forth. And this is county cricket. And I thought things were going to be changed, especially post the interview and these awarenesses and what's happened out there. But the honest truth is things have not. Now, I can pull up the email and read it to you and what they said. Now, just like boxing, you have a range of skills like cricket, you have batting, bowling and fielding. Boxing, you're a defensive fighter, you're a, a you know, aggressive fighter, you're, you're a southpaw, orthodox, how your feet move. All of these factors, you're not just going to look at someone who can stand there and just jab someone all day or just look out for a knockout punch. You want to see how his feet move. You want to see how his defense is. You want to see how he can take a punch, right? You're not going to just select someone because he can throw a punch. Went and gave this trials, doing my stuff, work training with a professional setup. They looked at one skill and one skill only. Didn't look at my batting. Didn't look at my fielding. Like I just stated, I've become one of the better fielders, probably in, especially in the southeastern area, like, you know, it's known to be batting as well this year is, in the last few years has come on massively. People know that hitting big sixes, scoring runs against against their professional setup players. They've not looked at those other two schools and said, no, Janet, we're not going to sign you this year. What? You've looked at me one day, you've bowled at me, I've bowled for one hour, yeah, you get to know me, I'm bowling just as quick as your other team members, I'm probably bowling more skillfully, I've got more skills than they have. Um, and it's factual, I'm not saying this as it is, it is evidently there. Um, you know, I can bat, I can field, these guys can't bat, and some of them can't even field, because they're like six foot five and they don't have the agility that I do. So you're looking at on one basis because they're X, Y, and Z height and they and they can bowl 75 miles an hour. I'm bowling 80, but I'm five, you know, six foot or not even six foot five ten. They say. So they're looking at reasons and excuses. I'm giving this to you raw, yeah, firsthand. Now I gave this interview to Sky News, you know, last year. Even so, that there was a racism situation that I encountered in the first game of the season this year. I'm giving you this raw and clean. No one has heard of this, and no one's, this is the first publication of it. And this is in the club setup, and so you, you ha so the way the system works here, you play Premier League club cricket, and then it's the county system, and then it's England. So they're the three barriers. So this was in the elite. This was in the Premier League, and and yeah, it was the Kent Premier League. Um, it's not hard to find out these things. Um, and was playing in that in the first game of the season, a cop, and it got quite quite messy. No names given, but yeah, there was a lot of personal abuse and also racial abuse. What sort of things did they say? Talking about 
my personal life, what's been going on in my own stuff, which is exposed on social media sometimes, news outlets, you see these things, right? Bad press, they, they pick it up and they start going off at him. Then there was talking about how, you know, Pakistanis don't know how to play cricket. They can only play one way of cricket. You don't know, Junaid, you're this, this, that. And they were saying, why don't you go back to Pakistan and play stuff like this? It's like, okay, it's a bit, you know, there's a, there's a way of sledging. Like, if you're going to sledge me, talk about my game. Oh, you can't bat, you can't bowl, these and things. When you start going personal, especially not at the professional level, you're playing, this is weekend cricket. Yeah, it's good standards, semi-professional cricket. But if you're, if you're in, if that is, the, you know, where it's at, when you go on, you know, in the professional setup, it's not as, you know, in the international scene, it's not bad. Everyone's quite friendly with each other because you're settled and stable, right? Most of these people are making multi-million, so you don't have no problem with other people. But it's at that line and that's where it stops then because if they people are copying it, if I'm copying it there, imagine the people now below me, there's all these other leagues and all these other things going on around the country. If people are copying it X, Y, and Z places, then they're not going to want to go on and play it anymore. My point, right? So hence why you see the numbers of people not wanting to play and fearful of getting involved with it because there is so much of it. So I, this, this incident was reported the week after and it was an 18, 20 week season we have. I didn't get something back, Stephen, till the, well, two weeks ago, the season finished like one month ago. So we're talking like September, so October, November, you know what I mean, October. It took them best part of 24 weeks to write a message, which I knew they were going to write, oh, our investigations found nothing. I knew he was going to say that, but you could have sent that four weeks ago, just a letter of acknowledgement. I don't, and I did, I didn't, and this is what I said in the Sky News interview, is that the reason why I didn't want to speak about these things and don't speak about these things or don't report it is because there is no system in place for things to get, you know, actually actioned. So there's no point. I'm going to tell these people and then they're going, oh, he's a telltale, he's a snake, he's a grass, whatever they want to start calling me then. That's not my way. I didn't say anything then. I thought maybe this time things have changed. Let's see if it's changed. I want to test the system. The system's here to be tested. It's not here to be just, you know, taken for a joke. Brushed it under the carpet. It only got risen because the chairman and the, of, of, the, of the committee and board sent an email saying, what's happening with this? Oh, and now you sent an email. What about actually getting the response through. They were very apologetic in the season. Oh, Janine, we're so sorry. Why? Because I was sitting on Sky Sports, just scared I'm going to go and expo expose you again. It will get exposed. Nothing will stop me. I'm doing my own thing now. And there is no one to say to me, you know, X, Y, and Z age, or you're this age, or you're that high, or your disability. No, I'm going to show you how cricket and sport should be actually run and structured. So racism inside the professional cricket realms is still rife and still alive. Yeah, sadly. Sadly, and people are being abused, and people are feeling like they don't have a voice, and they're also feeling like they can't go on and play higher levels of cricket because they're being suppressed basically by the old way of thinking. Basically, so. And when you come back to my when you asked me that question earlier about do I want to continue professional cricket, well. I'm good enough to walk into any county system. That's factual. You know, I've got stats to prove it. You know, since I was young as, you know, 17. I'll give you this one. On my, I was on my, I was 17 at the time. And this is in the Kent Premier League. And it's been, the Kent Premier League has been going on since like the 1860s or something, whatever. It was my mum's birthday. It was in May. It was one of the early parts of the season. And I've come down in the morning. Usually I buy my mum a present or make her breakfast in bed or do something for her, she, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a mummy's boy, dare I say. And, you know, she's been my support and rock throughout my whole cricketing career. She, you know, she's traveled up and down the country with me. Like, you know, she was there since my birth, you know, going back to my story as a kid, you know, 
she was she's been she's my everything so everything i do is to make her proud and make her happy you know she's a blessed woman she's very fortunate to have you know most things and she's got beautiful grandchildren and may god give her a long life and god you know bless her with more happiness but you know seeing what she's done for me was always my inspiration and motivation now on that day i came down in the morning she she made a comment before i went to the game she goes where's my present i said oh shit i forgot i said okay no problem mom. i'm gonna go play this game let me do something here just to like just get a cheap way out of buying her a present i didn't know what i was going to go and do that day anyway rock up to the ground 17 years old playing with fully adult men and half of these guys are pro cricketers anyway signed professionals some are ex-pros and there's some big names floating around and i'm rocking up as 17 year old skinny you know dare i say brown pakistani boy in, in kent you know like who am I sort of thing there's some big boys ahead of me but I know in my heart that I'm better than all of these guys started bowling and I took three wickets in my first little like spell they call it in my first seven overs I was like yeah I'm feeling good today and then so where, where that ground was it's like a big sort of hill and I was running down the hill bowling fast and I loved it my captain at the time he's, he's, he's an Australian gentleman amazing guy he, um, he said to me alright I want you to run up the hill. And as a 17 year old, I was just like, nah, don't want to do that. Like I want to keep running down the hill. He goes, nah, we were literally having a full an argument in the middle of the pitch and the umpires are like, that guy's come down. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. He goes, yeah, you, know, you have to do it. I was like, okay, cool, I listened to him. And then following through, it ended up being the best bowling spell in Kent Premier League history. I ended up bowling three overs in that second spell for like two, two, two runs and took five wickets. So in total in the game, I took like, my figures were eight overs, no, 10 overs, eight wickets for 16 runs. It's never been done before in Premier League history. The guy before me had eight wickets for 18 runs. I did eight wickets for 16 runs. To this day, it's not been broken. The guy who did it before me had it for about five years. Mine's coming up to 10 years now. It's not been broken. At 17 years old. And that was a year after Kent released me saying I wasn't even good enough to play club cricket as a sex when i was on the academy setup and whatnot they, yeah. he you know my coach said you know when they released me off my academy contract said you're not good enough to play even club cricket mate I said what watch me that very next year i'd done that took eight for 16 rewritten the history books now my name is on top you wanted my name to be away i've gone and put my name on top good stuff man yeah. um so the other thing I mentioned about the fixing of cricket, I yeah. wanted to get your view on it. I know you're a young man and it's probably something that you're not so <laughs> knowledgeable about apart from see seeing it maybe inside the leagues and knowing some high-profile people that have fallen, uh, succumbed to this type of stuff. But it's obviously started because of betting, right? And obviously money being being made because of games being won or lost. Um why is it such a culture low in cricket than than any other sport that fixings has been so rife in the last you know few years? Okay, no one's going to ever explain it to you the way I have, and I'm like as like I said to you this today, I'm going to give it to you raw, get it real and true. And the viewers would never have heard of this before and know why cricket is. Cricket can be played over five days. First of all, one match can last five days. So there's five days of betting opportunities, correct? In those five days of cricket, you have 100 overs per day. 
or let's say 90 now because of advertisement. So 90 overs a day. You have six balls per over. Let's do 100 overs times six. So 600 balls in a day. You can bet on every single ball. You can bet on where the you know what how many runs are going to be scored on the ball how many runs a batsman's going to score or no balls or wides what the batsman's going to do that ball it is insane the level of depth within the betting industry in cricket is huge now that's why coastline cricket is so pure like you said a breath, breath of fresh air is, you can't really there's not going to be so much of that within i don't think any of it if anything i don't we haven't got any betting partners we haven't involved in any if they come on board and they take it on themselves that's something that almost without my control somewhat but we don't want to be encompassing and we won't encompass that because it's a beach cricket who the hell wants to like you know bet on beach cricket per se yeah in professional sports you want to bet but because there is so many controlling factors that you can control and you've got 11 players accessible and when the market is as big as it is and if you say you've got let's say a person like that 2.5 billion fans betting okay let's say half of the fans 1.25 billion people betting on a match and even if they say they say they're betting one dollar per match you're still there is a market of one billion dollars going into a betting field right now the big boys out there they will basically as it is it's draining the market right so they will have control and access of players and people to be like okay x y and z is going on we know this is going to be the, you know you have a you have a rough betting syndicate right before a match you know you, someone's a favorite someone's a not you know who's a better player you know what they're going to do if you have control and you know what that player is going to do say if he's expected to score 10 runs at the very minimum and you go to say to him nah go score five everyone's going to bet on him scoring 20 and he's actually got out for five so you've got that market and you know what he's going to get out on so you go and say I'm, he's going to get five runs so your odds are going to be a lot higher right smart business yeah so it's a it's not even a business it is an underground world and that is honestly how it is what i've seen at first hand what i've seen through friends family people at first hand experience it within and outside of sports you know my own teammates i've seen go through things it's very very dark and nasty and again this is why i'm doing coastline because there is so much shit that happens within sports that it is un, un you cannot imagine so i want to create something clean and pure and where people just listen just get away if you're going to do anything dodgy whatever man we're just here to have a good time you know no fitness testing here Reva you know there's no bleep test none of this you don't have to be you know x y and z fit you obviously no one wants to have a pot belly on a beach you know what I mean it's natural so it's this whole breath of fresh air and hence why we got the people and the traction that we're able to do because it's something that is without the rooms yeah so in the betting world and in the uh, fixing world there is almost a mafia element to it where they are literally controlling what what goes behind the scenes there must be threats to certain players there must be threats to certain clubs that if you don't do this if you don't pull this off yeah yeah you know there's so much money riding on it that there's going to be some repercussions of course there's there's stories of it there's people's family people members have gone missing there are people trying to seek asylum here because if they go back home because they didn't complete a bet and you know if they okay for example now you understand now if that individual who is set to score five runs so now you've told me steve i have to score five runs this game 
but I forgot. Maybe I've scored eight, but he's put his money down on five. This, you know, Don dare we say, or I've gone and scored 25 because I want to play for like you sort of thing. I want to do what I'm going to do. That person who might have put one, two, three million dollars on that, or maybe a hundred, who knows what they're putting down on these things. He wants that money back now. He's, that money's gone. Yeah, he might be making it elsewhere, but that person's accountable for that. It was a plan. It was a sense of trust. You've broken a person's trust. And if you break, you know, these these underground mafia worlds are not a joke. And they would go on trust, loyalty, and respect. If you mess around with these people, there is no forgivingness. And it's not a joke. Because that is just the realities of the world. And people don't understand. You see it in movies. You see it in things. You know, there's cricketers who've tried to come and seeking asylum here from even Pakistan recently. You know, a couple of years, about five, ten years ago, was a, a wicketkeeper. He, you know, he got done very hard. And they said, if you come back, your whole family's dead. He's like, shit, man, like, that's not a joke. And it was a reality. It's not a joke for some people. And that is the scope and the reality of how big things are. And it's not just within cricket, though. That's the thing. Yeah, cricket is a targeted sport for it. But it happens across all sports, you know, boxing, football, you know, all of these things, you know. Some people are earning X amount. And you wonder, is that how is this even capable to pay this person that much? <coughs> so, yeah. It's just like when you think of cricket, you don't actually think, because like you would say more, just because of the pure nature of, say like boxing or MMA, you would say you know, it's a violent sport, there's violent people behind it, there's a lot of violent money being made, you know, it, mm. it kind of fits the profile and it does does probably happen. Um, there's been plenty of stories about, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but like loads of big brands out mm. there, some of them are not here now recently yeah. and they've had to move on. But in cricket, you're like, nah, it's like, you know, it's quite a friendly atmosphere, friendly environment. I mean, if you look at even football, you have to have Man United and Chelsea or whoever in different ends because of the, the violence and the, the rivalry. But a lot of the time in cricket, you know, you could be sitting with the opposing supporters and it's totally, totally fine. But to work out or to see there is this underground mafia culture, which are pulling essentially the purse strings, it's quite a scary thing. This brings me on to my next point, which we were speaking about before the podcast, which is about enhancing, sports enhancing drugs, which is happening across multiple sports at the moment. Um, don't really hear so much about it in like soccer, football at the moment, and maybe some other sports, but I've got no doubt that it's probably happening, but they've worked out ways to mask it. And our conversation started because we both like and adore boxing. Um, and you asked me a question about Conor, Conor Ben and I gave you my view on it. Um, and I think more and more sports people are working out that you can get away with blood doping, sports enhancing drugs, but there's a way to mask it in order to not be detected and then carry on. And sadly, something's happened where I've kind of mistakenly taken something or he didn't use the right masking stuff. Who knows? It will come out in a wash eventually. Um, it's a bit of a scary time because these things can be quite life-threatening, can be can be quite dangerous, certainly when you're playing in you know contact sports. So anyway, going back to it, so making the connection with mafia, putting money, big money, millions, there's tens of millions, hundreds of millions on these games, and then also the connection with sports enhancing drugs to make sure that these bets are pulled off. How rough is that in in the world of professional cricket, sports enhancing drugs? Like you said, you've you've nailed it on the head there. It's a it's a big 
dark world and this is where obviously my business element came from it that I want to break that sort of norm it will continue you know it will never change we won't be able to change the world of professional sports and the competitiveness because as you know as an athlete if you want to make the big money you got to be in that one percent you got to be the best in the world or your best in your country and you got to be doing freaky things and sadly some people get in you know into that frame of mind that yeah we need to obtain these sort of you know, drugs and whatever, and and hence why now you know you see a little bit of, you know, drug testing coming a bit more prominent and a bit more deeper in 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 that sense. Cricket is huge for it. Now, every sport I think has uh, an element of it. Now I think you look at some boxers, you think you start looking at their physique and their, how they build and the way they move. You think that could be questionable. Some footballers, you know, the, the way they move and the way they play, you could question some of those things. Um, and, you know, look at, I like, will give you an example of a cricketer. There's a few people who bought, who broke the 100 mile an hour barrier. Um, Shrebacta by per se. You know, he's a great gentleman. I know one of my idols have the most respect for him and he's a, he's a great cricketer. Now his journey, you know, he was again against all the odds wasn't and shouldn't be able to bowl 100 miles an hour he had a double jointed elbow he was flat footed and he was quite slim when he came onto the scene wiry kid on you know fiery in his bowling quick you know bowling about 90 95 96 maybe hit 97 a few times but hit a bit of a plateau and barrier a few years go by you start to see this guy getting a bit boom 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 okay he's getting a bit strong eh but a bit too strong, a little bit, or, you know, you wouldn't question it, maybe he's eating, people naturally don't question things, right, you think the person's individually f sound, and then all of a sudden, 1898, 99, 100, 101, and consistently 898, 99, and then you see two, three, four people now, touching the 99, 91, you know, 101, sorry, barrier, three people hit the 100 mile an hour barrier, like five six people have hit you know 99 but now with the development of sports science knowledge in the sports um you know money in the sports you'd think people should be blitzing that 100 you know mile an hour barrier people don't come close like you see people get like 95 nowadays is like the top end like wow he's bowling 95 like wow when i was watching cricket growing up Bowling 95 was slow, like you was touching 90, like 9900. Makes you then question what was going on then, because obviously the technology that we have now is a bit different. You know, no one speaks about it as raw and, and as as it is as this, because the people are a bit fearful to, you know, it's like I said, it's not a disrespectful thing, it's just honesty and open truth, right? There is no harm in people's truths and or realities or whatever, factual things comes down to then entertainment and you know these markets you know coming back to where that you know this mafia sort of side of things you control things you know the whole business side of it this dark side it all comes down to who if you have the big players you have more access more value more of these things there is so much that's going on and around it how much of it is actually being dealt with we don't really know you know there is they say that you know like talking about the racism incident how X, Y, Z is going to be dealt with. Did it get dealt with? Probably not. They make it out like it is. 
But there is also a sort of realm within this, and hence why it's all a corruption, and you look at political corruption and all of these things. It's, there is so much things, so many things that are going on out there. It's almost out of our control. We are, you know, these are the powerhouses within the society and realms that have got the, you know, doing those things. So then it becomes quite scary for individuals who then speak out publicly about it, because people who then do ended up, you know, in, in not so good places. But you know, let's see. Yeah. Crazy world out there, and I, I understand that the pressures because all of these sports, they start off as sports and they turn into businesses, and they're the people inside these businesses are sometimes forced to do what's not best for the sport, best for the business. You know, maybe fixing matches, maybe their players are taking sports enhancing drugs or doing things to get the big sponsors to endorse them, etc. And it's kind of a bit of a carousel. You know, they they have to keep on doing this stuff in order for the business to thrive. But in actual fact, it's damaging the actual sport and the culture of the sport, which is such a shame. And hopefully with your your brand, your business moving forward, you're going to bring a different air, you know, make it fun again, make it, make it natural, make it, you know, focus on the sport itself rather than all the other components that can sometimes hinder the actual sport. Um, want to round this off by just asking you just more for something I'm interested in. Um, you've mentioned about Amir Khan, and I'm obviously a big boxing fan. I'm a boxer myself. I know you've had contact with him before, and your 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 kind of uh, friendship with him. What was he like as an individual? Yeah, he's he's a good guy. You know, family friends from from many years. It started off as young as um, eight years old. Um, yeah, eight nine years old. Um, I won this award at. Um, Hilton Hotel down on Park Lane. I know it very well. Yeah. They've got uh, Galvin at Windows, the lovely yes, restaurant. On beautiful. The it's amazing. Two star. Yeah, one of my favourites. Um, we, we, is in the ballroom. Um, I won this award. Um, it was a British Asian Young Sports Personality of the Year at eight, nine years old. Um, so it, and Amir Khan won the, the senior uh, at the time, the, the main personality of the year. Um, and, in, and in the crowd was the likes of Theresa Main, uh, Jermaine Jackson, um, and many, many more. Um, you know, to have a picture with the like, you know, one of the Jacksons is is an honor. You know, and to see, to be able to deliver a winning speech, I'll send it to you later. Have a watch of it. It was a speech that I did at that age. You know, I didn't know I was going to win the award. Um, they sat us right at the back of the hall as well. Um, and Keith Vaz, the MP at the time, he announced the award and he was like, the winner of this first award, uh, of this award for tonight is, there was a little pause and I said, Junaid Nadir. And right at the back of the ballroom and then the light came on our table and my family just looked at me like, and I just got up and ran to the stage. I had no idea what I was doing. Like no one told me before you're gonna win an award and you have to go up and do this. Or they told my parents, no one told nothing. So I didn't know if I actually had to go up I just heard my name and just went running up. I was in a little tux, had a little bow tie on, and it was a bit wonky as well, I still remember. But you know, you're eight, eight nine years old, you know? Um, and I remember walking up and the crowd reception was phenomenal, like in that size of that hall as well. I was like, remember we were walking up and I couldn't hear nothing. Like it was just like a blur, as you know, you know? And I was just like, wow. And then I remember walking up and people patting my back and then Theresa May, she's like, she looked at me, she's like, well done, well done. And I just walked past her. Like, I didn't know who he was, but it's sort of type of thing. I saw Jermaine Jackson sitting there with his table and his entourage and he was like, they were clapping and I was like, me, for me, wow, this is pretty good. So I walked up onto the stage 
the girl, she gave me a hug. He presented me with the wood. I didn't even shake her hand. I went straight past her. I shook oh. the hand of the interviewer. I was like, this is incredible. Um, and then, yeah, I, I sat, sat up there and I gave a speech. And to this day, I still remember, you know, Nitin um, Ganatra, who's an actor uh, and presenter. He was the one uh, at, the, at the event being the host. And I delivered a speech and I still remember it somewhat. Um, but it wasn't prepared. I just went up there and just spoke out naturally said you know you know first of all i'd like to say thanks for my sister for for nominating me and putting me in, into this um and thanks to my brothers my sisters my coaches and and myself as well eight years old i'll send you the video you're gonna love it and i'm just thinking to myself and the whole crowd was laughing and i'm just like this is this is phenomenal um and you know looking back and i was like it, i i don't even remember that you know i don't like physically it was so weird um and it was something came up over me at the time and then carried on, you know, say thank you for everybody voting and giving me this opportunity and came off. And the guy was like, wait till he gives his lifetime achievement award. Like, you know, that was a phenomenal speech. And then, you know, after the event, I went backstage and Jermaine Jackson was there and all of these other celebrities and press was there and all of these interviews started coming into my mouth and no one was there with me. I had no guardian. I just had like some, I don't know, some people with me that they're just like taking me through. Uh. And I was just milking, I was loving it. It was just in my element. And then Amir Khan, after they said, look, you two, you know, you, you guys are going to be the next, you know, leading factors for the British Muslim and Asian community here. Let's partner you up. Let's um, get you having interviews with them. Um, and then, yeah, throughout then, and, you know, his his cousin, um, Sajid Mahmood, um, played for England as a cricketer, as a fast bowler. So again, growing up, seeing British Pakistani wear the English shirt, I didn't know Sajid at the time, and I said to Amir at that award ceremony, you know, I remember having the picture with him, and after I said, yo, and I was just a cheeky kid, first time I met him, yeah, and I said, yo, Amir, before you go, yeah, uh, tell your cousin Saj that one day I'm going to take his place. He started laughing, he goes, this kid is crazy, man. Um, and I had like Alicia Dixon come over to me and like, you know, take a picture. And I said, can I have a kiss, please? And she gave me a little kiss on the cheek, and like, she goes, this kid is so adorable, and I've still got these pictures, and I'm just like, I was just in my element at that time and I gave I gave you know that message to to Amir and he went and delivered it to Saj actually and I saw Saj and Mood um, a couple of years later as a young cricketer probably about 12 years old and I said so about three four years later I said Saj did Amir ever ever tell you that there's a kid that I said to you that I'm going to take your place one day he goes yeah he did are you that kid I said that's me. He goes, wow. I was like, you know, I'm your biggest fan. I'm so honored to meet you. You know, he and we sat down and had breakfast together because we was on tour in Somerset. Um, I was playing for Kent under 13s at the time, and he was playing for Lancashire main team. And he was so nice. He'd like, go, yeah, come have sat down with breakfast with me. And I sat down and I, was, I didn't even eat my breakfast. I was just like, as you are as a kid, you're, I was starstruck. I was just looking at him the whole time, like, wow, like, are you yeah. really next to me? I was a really big fanboy of him. Anyway, coming on to my Essex debut. I was, again, when Kent released me the very next year, I got signed and I was like playing for Essex. On my debut, I come out of the, the changing room. I was batting first, we got out uh, and then was in the changing room. I was the last one out and I was rushing to the huddle and um, was inside that huddle. We had some big names like, you know, Reese Topley, who's currently playing for England, Sajid Mahmood, um, who was, you know, my, my player, uh, well, my idol at the time while we were growing up, was in the circle and I'm like, okay, I might probably not bowl today, yeah, because we've got about 10 overs, 20 overs left in the day. I was like, nah, I'm not going to have that. There's no chance I'm going to open the bowling here. 
they threw me the ball and I was like, oh, they may be checking. Like, I was just going to have a look here. I was like, oh, nice ball. I threw it back to the captain. He goes, no, mate, first one. I'm looking around like, there's Saj, there's these guys, there's this person. Like, me? Yeah, you first one. And on the, in that day, in that game, I took six wickets. Again, nothing, something that's not been done on debut per se. Um, took eight in the game. Um, got Saj to sign the ball. And basically that was my moment of taking Saj Mahmood's place as because he was an opening bowler. He was the first to start uh, and lead the attack. And I came on ahead of him. And that was my moment of taking my place. So what I say to people is like, you know, as a kids and these people, you know, whoever's watching is that, you know, manifestation belief. If you see it and you can say it and you believe it. I was eight, nine years old. How do I know I'm going to do that? I believed it. I knew it was going to happen. I just knew it. And and thank God for that. And there was a level of respect that came from their family and our families. And you know, we went to his wedding. He come. He came to our family wedding as well. We were in good touch. There's a lot of family love and respect. So yeah, no, amazing people. Perfect, mate. I've really enjoyed this interview. I'm going to ask you this very last question. My mantra to the podcast and in life is be happy, never content. Mm-hmm. You might have heard me say that a few times. Mm-hmm. If I was to ask yourself, what does be happy, never content mean to you? Be happy and never content means one thing is be, you know, valued. The f- you know, life is really simple. Now, we overcomplicate life as individuals, as humans. There's a fundamental basics to it. Having a roof over your head, having food over your tummy, someone that you can share your emotions with. Whether that's one person or five people, it doesn't matter. That is what we look for and search for. No matter your skin color, whether you're old, able, non-able, whatever it may be, rich, poor, whatever it is, you take away all of these things. And this is one thing that I've seen traveling the world and meeting the caliber of people that I have rich, poor, and being very fortunate at this very young age to go to the South America regions, Far East, Asia, all of these places, Kashmir, you know, and see the realities of life. And every per- everyone's purpose is one thing. So be happy, be happy within yourself, with what you have, whether it's much or so small, there's always going to be someone who has more than I or you, normal. But we have to be appreciative of even sitting down, having this conversation with you. For me to open up to these things like I have to you, it's an honor. You know, it was a great connection, very special. Be content, be appreciative of whatever you have, no matter how small or big it is, and be happy with everything that you're doing in life. Good man. Well, look, thank, thank you, you very much for your time. Appreciate I hope everyone got a lot of value from this. Obviously, please, everyone, follow this man's journey. He's on to something amazing. Likewise. And be happy, never content. Please subscribe, share this with your family members and your network. And I look forward to delivering some more exceptional guests and uh, interviews as time goes in your on. New, in your new place as well. In new place in Mayfair. Yeah, good luck to that. and wish you all the best on that side. Thank you, mate. Take all right. Care. Perfect. Cheers. Thank you. Cool.